You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. I love that line in there when he said, I, uh, I took your trash long before you ever created it. Man, there, that's, there's truth in that, man. Well, we've been in a series, we've been looking at this uh, summer where we've been kind of looking at the many areas uh, where we just really need God's help, especially in getting rid of the garbage in our lives. And honestly, we could go on with this series uh, for the rest of you know, our lives because there are so many areas, more areas than we'll ever cover where we really do need uh, God's help. And the problem is, is we try to live so much of our lives managing and are, you know, struggling and, and carrying all of the garbage, the trash around in our lives. And often we are just reluctant or we're afraid or somehow we don't feel worthy to come and to ask God uh, for his help. Um, or, or, you know, God will remove those obstacles. God will give us freedom. He'll bring deliverance in a certain area. He will remove the trash from our lives only to have us rummage back through it and take it all back. Somehow convincing ourselves it's not as bad as it looks or, or we, can, we can manage better with it this time. So far, we in the series, the very, very first thing that we kind of looked at in the series was how God wants to help me with me. Because like it or not, you are your biggest problem. I am my biggest problem. Jeff needs God's help with Jeff. Jim needs help from God for Jim. And so often we just think all of our problems are about our spouse, our children, our boss, our neighbor. If God would just fix them, everything would be okay. And the truth of the matter is, is that we need God's help first and foremost with ourselves. And once we get God's help for ourselves, what we come to realize is all the other things that were causing problems uh, seem to minimize or go away. We've also talked about needing God's help in the area of worry, temptations, fear, pride, anger. Last week, we talked about needing God's help in the area of our thought life. This morning, I want to look at uh, an area for me that has really been very personal, uh, very deep for me, and that is uh, on the issue of shame. Shame is one of those emotions we have all experienced many, many times in our lives, but we never want to acknowledge it and we don't ever want to talk about it. It's also an emotion that we're going to experience many, many, many more times in our future. And one of the reasons that it's so difficult for us to acknowledge and to talk about shame is because shame is usually connected to a very difficult, a very embarrassing, or, or a deeply painful experience in our lives. And to have to talk about the shame, uh, we would also have to talk about the experience that's causing that shame. And because we can't or we won't talk about the difficult 
painful experience, we kind of just choose to live with this trash, this shame, as well as the other emotions that are spawned by the shame we're feeling. So as we kind of delve into this topic of shame, I think it's important to really define and understand what I mean by shame. One definition of shame I found is described as a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. I think most of us can resonate with that. Say, yep, I have felt that. Some of you may be feeling that this morning. Another definition of shame was an unpleasant self-conscious emotion typically associated with a negative evaluation of the self, withdrawal motivations and feelings of distress, exposure, mistrust, powerlessness, and worthlessness. That last one is so key, that feeling of just being unworthy. Dr. Brene Brown in her book, uh, Daring Greatly defines shame as the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Now, the reason it's important to define exactly what shame is, because oftentimes we kind of use words like guilt or embarrassment or humiliation, and we'll use those kind of words interchangeably with the whole idea of shame. Shame can involve those elements. I mean, shame can have an element of humiliation. It can have an element of embarrassment. But there's a big difference between guilt and shame, guilt and humiliation, guilt and embarrassment. For example, one of the major differences between shame and humiliation is people believe they deserve their shame, but nobody believes they deserve to be humiliated. I can do something that brings shame upon me, and I can, I can feel, you know what, I deserve that. I need to feel shame for what I've done. But no one ever feels the need or feels that they deserve or that there's any situation that, that warrants them being humiliated. There's also embarrassment versus shame. Again, all of us have had very, very embarrassing moments it may not be funny at the time, but have you ever had something that's just been really, really embarrassing and then you know, you're telling somebody else the story of, of what was very embarrassing to you and it's humorous, it's funny. You know, you talk about, you know, maybe coming out of the bathroom and there was toilet paper hanging out of the back of your pants. It was embarrassing at the moment, but you know, a couple of days later as you're telling the story, it's funny. You know, so that's the difference. Shame is never funny. We, we never tell shameful stories to be funny. There is also a difference between shame and guilt. Guilt says you made a mistake. Shame says you are a mistake. Big difference. Every one of us have made mistakes in our past and will make mistakes in our future. But we are never a mistake. Guilt says, I did something bad. Shame says, you are bad. Guilt focuses on behavior. Shame focuses on self. Shame 
Guilt focuses on behavior. I did something wrong. I did something bad. Shame, again, is a focus on self. I am wrong. I am bad. Shame works very, very hard to attach itself to the very core of who we are and how we see ourselves. And once it does that, it really begins to develop very negative and very destructive thoughts and messages regarding ourselves. Are you beginning to kind of see the difference here between those elements? And again, why it's so important to understand what shame is and that we don't confuse that with embarrassment or humiliation. When I went through the situation last summer regarding the use of the church credit card for personal use, I was consumed and I was overwhelmed by shame. I came forward, I admitted what I had done because the Bible says that when we confess our sins, that it's in the confessing of that sin that we find healing. I wanted healing. I wanted accountability. I wanted to make restitution. I wanted to do right in an area where I had done wrong. I didn't anticipate the level of shame that would come upon me. And I had no way of really understanding or working through that. I thought I was a horrible person. I thought I was a terrible pastor. There were points where I felt like I should just step down and walk away. There were times where I just wanted to run away from everything. I wanted to get as far away from this and everyone that knew anything about this as I could get. And I knew that was shame. I knew that was shame driving me. I knew that was shame in those thoughts that I was feeling. I really beat myself up over what I had done. I'll never forget the first time I met with Pastor Dave the pastor from Agape, I'll never forget the freedom from shame I felt when he pointed out to me the difference between guilt and shame. And I remember when he said to me, Jeff, you made a mistake, but brother, you are not a mistake. You made some bad choices, but you are not a bad person. Someone's phone's going off. If you could please silence your phones. That's not me. I leave my phone in my office, so I know it's not me. Okay. Guilt can be a very, very helpful emotion. This is, see, this is, the devil does this, you know? If he can't get you, he'll start working in our sound system. Guilt can be a very, very helpful emotion. I felt guilt, and it was helpful in that it propelled me to want to do something about what I was feeling guilty about. So it can be a very helpful emotion when it is quickly followed by repentance, making amends, or, or committing to make better choices in the future. Shame is never, ever, ever a helpful emotion. It's always destructive, and it always is an attack upon the very core of who we are as human beings. So let's say I made plans 
last week to meet Jim for lunch. And Jim and I had agreed upon a time and a place and that time had come and I get a phone call from Jim about 15 minutes later and Jim says to me, hey, Pastor Jeff, um, I thought we were gonna meet for lunch today. You know, I'm here at uh, the restaurant and and I've been waiting for you and uh, I I just was kind of wondering what was going on. Guilt says... Or a guilt statement would be, oh my gosh, Jim, I am so sorry. I completely forgot. Things were kind of crazy this morning and I just completely lost track of time. I am so sorry. Can we please reschedule and I'll buy? That's guilt and generosity, right? (laughs) The message of shame would say, Oh, I am such an idiot. I am such a loser. I can understand why nobody ever wants to be around me. I am just a horrible person because only a horrible person would forget something like that. See, the guilt statement focuses on behavior. I forgot. I'm sorry. Can I make it up to you. The shame statement says, I am horrible. So again, it's important to understand what shame is, how it works, and how it is different from other emotions. To me, one of the clearest biblical illustrations of the difference and the effect of guilt and shame, how it affects us, is seen in the reaction of Simon Peter, who you may remember at a very pivotal time in his life, denied knowing Jesus Christ three times. And you contrast that with another man by the name of Judas Iscariot, who had betrayed Jesus to the Roman soldiers for 40 pieces of silver. Before Jesus is arrested in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus tells Peter that there's gonna come a time where you're gonna deny me three times before the rooster crows. And Peter, who probably had a fair amount of pride in there, vehemently denied that he would ever, ever do that. Well, following Jesus' arrest on three separate occasions, you may remember Peter denies ever knowing who Jesus was, fulfilling the prophecy Jesus gave him. And Peter's reaction to what he did is found in Matthew 26, verse 75, and there it says, suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter went away and wept bitterly. And we know that following the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, Peter is fully restored by Jesus. Now, can you contrast that with the story of Judas who leads the Roman soldiers to where Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane in order to have him arrested. And Judas does this at the behest of the Jewish leaders and he's rewarded with 40 pieces of silver. And following Jesus' arrest, Matthew 27, beginning in verse three, when Judas, who had betrayed Jesus, realized that Jesus was now to be condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So Judas took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and elders. I have sinned, Judas declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. What do we care? They replied, that's your problem. That's what religion does. (laughs) What do we care? That is your problem. 
Then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and went out and hanged himself. Peter, I believe, experienced guilt, deep guilt. And that he did something bad, he made a mistake. And then his guilt led him eventually to repentance. Eventually, he is restored. Whereas Judas, I believe, experienced deep shame. And he committed suicide, which to me is the ultimate expression in self-rejection and self-hatred. And again, that's what shame, it has that power, it has that potential to drive us to do very destructive things. Peter saw himself again as having made a mistake, did a bad thing, whereas Judas saw himself as a mistake, as a bad person, and punishes himself through extreme measures. Again, the difference between guilt and shame and one of the ways that guilt and shame can work and operate in our lives. One has, again, guilt can be just as powerful as shame, but guilt's influence has the potential to be positive. Shame is always destructive. Guilt can be a very helpful emotion as it was with Peter, as it was with me, but shame is never a helpful emotion. As a matter of fact, shame is much more likely to be the cause of destructive and hurtful behaviors that than it is to be a solution. Shame is highly correlated, studies have shown, with addictions. A lot of times your addictions, they're being driven by shame. Violence, aggression, depression, suicide, eating disorders, all of these things are tied into and have their root in shame. This is, again, why it's important to understand it, to talk about it. Because the outcomes of shame, they're never healthy. They're never productive. So let's talk about what we can learn about shame and how God wants to help us. First thing I think we need to understand, shame is universal. Shame affects everyone, everywhere. There's not a person alive who has not experienced shame multiple times throughout their lives. And we're going to experience it again in the future. As a matter of fact, shame made its debut back in the Garden of Eden, starting with Adam and Eve. And it has been experienced and felt by every human being since then. You may remember after Adam and Eve were created there that Genesis 2.25 says this, referring to Adam and Eve. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. They felt no shame. And of course, all that changed after Adam and Eve rebelled against God. They ate from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Genesis 3 verse 7 kind of records that reaction. At that moment, their eyes were opened. And they suddenly felt what? Shame. At their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves and all of mankind from that point forward, starting with Adam and Eve, has experienced shame multiple times at multiple levels. And that shame Adam and Eve experienced, again, it caused them to run and to hide from God. Again, it's always negative. 
Shame causes us to run and to hide ourselves from God, from one another, even from ourselves. So it's universal. Every one of us experiences shame. But again, no one wants to talk about it. And here's the thing. The less you want to talk about it, the more of it you probably have. There's one more interesting dynamic about shame. And oftentimes we kind of feel like shame is one of those things that hides itself in the deepest, darkest corners of our lives when often the truth is it actually tends to kind of live pretty wide out in the open. Shame will manifest itself through our appearance or our body image. It'll manifest itself through money, our work, through our family of origins, through our parenting roles, through our mental, physical health, our addictions, through sex, through aging, through our spirituality, through trauma, through being stereotyped or labeled. It's interesting the number one area most women feel the greatest amount of shame is in the area of appearance and body image. Number one area for most women that they experience shame is their appearance and their body image. That drive to look perfect, to have the perfect makeup, the perfect hair, the perfect outfit, to act perfect. Motherhood is a very close second on the list for women and unfortunately, you don't have to be a mother, in order to experience shame in this area. Oh, you're married, but don't have any kids? Oftentimes, women feel shame in that. If a woman is struggling with infertility, oftentimes questions about that can bring shame upon them. That's why, again, motherhood is a very, very close second there. The area most men experience the greatest levels of shame is in the area of failure. Whether it's on the job, in relationships, as a parent, with money, shame equals failure. Basically, men kind of live under the pressure of one unrelenting message. Do not be perceived as weak. Shame for men comes when we are perceived as a failure or are weak. I believe even Jesus experienced shame while he was upon the earth. Now hang with me. I know some of you are getting ready to grab your Bibles and head out. <laughs> Let me talk this through. Some of you are going to get free through this. Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 1, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising, I love, I think the New Living Translation says, disregarding the what? Shame. And he sat down at the right hand of God. Do you realize there was great shame attached to the act of crucifixion? Back in Jesus' day, the crucifixion was reserved for the worst of the worst of criminals. 
As a matter of fact, Paul writes in Galatians 3.13, he said, cursed is anyone who hangs upon a tree. So to be crucified in Jesus's day was a public declaration that you were not only cursed, but you were cursed of God. And not only did you hang upon the cross, but you hung there completely naked. So you're hanging there in the wide open public, completely exposed. It was, all, it was a part of the punishment. And interestingly, the word shame in the Old Testament, it is linked to the word naked. Now, you don't need to raise your hand in response to this question, but how many of you have had dreams where you're naked in public? Yeah. Oftentimes, there's kind of a sense of shame kind of linked or associated. Every time I've ever had a dream like that, I'm always looking for a way to get covered. So there, there's, there's a part of that nakedness that brings about shame because we're exposed. So I believe as Jesus hung there upon that cross, declared cursed of God, naked and fully exposed, there was an element, an emotion of shame that was attached to that whole experience. Now that can be helpful to us in the sense that Jesus knows what it is to feel or to understand shame. That like us, he has experienced or he has felt that emotion of shame. Now what makes Hebrews chapter 12 verse two so interesting and again, encouraging to me and hopefully to you is that while he was on there enduring the cross, it says he despised or he disregarded the shame that came with it. The shame that tried to attach itself to him through the act of crucifixion. Now that word despised in the Greek, it simply means to regard as nothing. To utterly despise or to treat with contempt. So do you realize that as Jesus hung there upon that cross, cursed of God, naked, fully exposed, that when that shame tried to attach itself to him through that experience, the word says that, that he regarded that shame as nothing. He despised that shame. He disregarded that shame that we so often just take upon ourselves. In other words, Jesus did not allow that shame to attach itself to him or allow it to define him in any way. He did not allow that to drive him in any particular way. Again, that is one of the destructive fruits of shame. It will try to define you by what you do. So the good news is, like us, Jesus experienced shame, but he didn't allow that shame to attach itself to him or allow it to define him in any way. Again, he didn't allow that shame to drive his behavior or his attitudes. He doesn't let it affect him in any of his relationships. 
And that's one of the things we're going to talk about more in the coming weeks. No matter what you do going from this point forward, you will never, ever, ever, ever avoid experiencing shame. You are going to have experiences where shame is going to come upon you. It is going to try to attach itself to you. But you can learn how to disregard that shame just like Jesus did. When shame comes, you can learn to recognize what that is. Oh, that, that, that's shame I'm, I'm feeling. That's shame knocking on the door. And you can allow it to come to nothing in that it's not going to affect you. When shame shows up, you can learn to despise that shame in such a way that it will come to nothing in your life. And therapists call this shame resilience. Now, now don't confuse that with shame resistance. I don't want you to walk out of here thinking, oh, glory to hallelujah, I'm, I'm never gonna experience shame again. You will. Every one of us is gonna experience shame no matter how much you're walking in, in, the, in the Holy Spirit, no matter how deep you're walking in the things of God, you are gonna experience shame. But you can learn how to be resilient towards shame. And by that, I mean you're able to identify it, recognize it, and you're able to walk through it without letting it affect you in any way. We'll talk more about that later. So shame is universal. It affects everyone in multiple ways. Interestingly, psychologists say the only people who don't experience shame are those who lack um, empathy or who lack human connection. Only people that don't experience shame, and we call them sociopaths. So again, it is universal. We all experience. Second thing we need to understand about shame is that shame, I talked about this, I, I kind of uh, baited the hook last week. Shame flourishes, it thrives in secrecy. The three things that shame needs, it must have in order to grow, is silence, secrecy, and judgment. Silence, secrecy, judgment. See, the moment you begin to talk about and to share the things that are causing you shame, shame will begin to lose its power over your life. Again, I was deeply affected by shame. But as I was able to begin to talk about the experiences that were causing and driving my shame, shame began to lose its power over me. And again, the hardest part about talking about shame is that emotion of shame, again, it's often always usually attached to a very deep, very painful experience. And to talk about the shame would necessitate, I gotta talk about the painful, difficult experience attached to it. Many of you know, I've been very open about this. I was sexually abused at the age of 15 by an uncle I deeply trusted. He'd taken me hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles away from home, 
away from family, away from anyone that I knew. There was no phone. I didn't know a soul. I had just turned 15. And part of what made up the shame for me was when it happened, I never said anything. I never went to anyone. I didn't know who to go to. I did not have a close relationship with my parents. I didn't have a close relationship with anyone. There was no phone. I couldn't call the police. I, I mean, I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't think anyone would believe me. I didn't know what would happen to me as a result if people knew about this. Would I get in trouble? Would I get taken out of my home? I mean, there were just all kinds of fears uh, that were swirling in my mind. I'm 15 at the time. I, I, I feel like as I look back on that now, I was old enough. I should have done more to stop him. I didn't fight him. I didn't say anything to him. I just laid there. I'll never forget the two feelings I felt the strongest that very first night was fear. I laid in that bed and I shook uncontrollably. I'd never, ever, ever felt fear like that before. I laid there and my body, my entire body is shaking. I thought I was having a convulsion. I could not stop it. It was fear. And very, very quickly behind that fear was this mountain of shame. because I felt as if I deserved it because I didn't do anything to stop him. So to say anything to anyone, I was afraid I would be blamed for allowing it or doing something that caused it. So there was great shame attached to what happened in that experience. And the longer it went on, the greater the shame became, the deeper the secrecy became, and the stronger the judgment, the voices in my head spoke to me. Again, remember, shame requires three things to grow, silence, secrecy, and judgment. If I tell you what happened to me, if I share my shame, I am afraid, you will judge me and reaffirm the feeling that this is, this was my fault. The end of September 2017, about two years ago to the date, was the first time I ever opened up and shared with anyone what happened to me. Many of you know there was a lot that was going on in my life at that time. There have been multiple times where I have hit walls in my life and I've always bounced back. Two years ago, I hit a wall. I did not bounce back. I splatted on that wall. There was a lot of deep, deep pain and shame attached to that experience for me. It affected me in ways I still don't fully understand today. Many of you know that I talked about, I suffered frequent nightmares throughout that time of 15 forward. Oftentimes, Janie would have to wake me up or I would just wake up on my own and I would just be covered and drenched in sweat trying to get away from him. I would have nightmares where he was at, at the door trying to get in and, and a hand would be reaching around the door trying to grab me and I, I, I would just struggle in these nightmares to try to get away from him. And amazingly, for reasons I don't even understand, 
The moment I shared that with Janie, the moment I brought light to that shame, the moment I brought insight into that secrecy, those nightmares ended and I have never had a nightmare since. But I believed the shame combined with the secrecy somehow drove those nightmares. And once I just, again, began to open up, the secrecy was broken and the nightmares ended. Again, once shame is brought out from the darkness into the light, shame begins to dissolve. It begins to lose its grip. It begins to lose its power over us. Here's how Brene Brown in her book, Daring Greatly, puts it. She says, shame derives its power from being unspeakable. Shame derives its power from being unspeakable. If we cultivate enough awareness about shame to name it and to speak it, we basically cut it off at the knees. Shame hates having words wrapped around it. If we speak shame, it begins to wither. I'll just tell you from my own experience, I find that to be absolutely 100% true. As I began to talk about what happened to me with Janie, with pastors Bruce and Dave, the shame did begin to wither and I was able to release myself from any and all responsibility of what I've shared with you. Now just one word of caution here and I'm gonna wrap up. I just didn't go out there and start telling anyone and everyone that would listen every gory detail. The key is find people you trust. Find people that have earned the right to hear your story, to hear your heart. Find people who will care about you and care for you in the process of your sharing. Find someone who can be empathetic. And again, empathy doesn't require that we all have the same exact experience as the person sharing their story with us. Empathy is simply the ability to connect with the emotion that someone is experiencing, not so much the event or the circumstances. So next week, we're gonna come back, we're gonna talk about shame resilience. How do you recognize, how do you deal with it? How do you move through the shame like Jesus did? How do you bring that to nothing? So we're gonna pick it up there next week. Let's just stand uh, together this morning. I wanna just, um, I wanna just give those of you this morning um, a starting point. Um, I don't, we don't ask you guys to do this often, hardly ever really, but this morning, I'm just gonna ask you if you would just please, if you could just kinda just close your eyes um, this morning, just out of reverence, out of respect, uh, to other people, and um, I just want to just ask those of you here this morning, and again, I'm asking you to trust. I'm asking you to trust God, to trust your fellow believers here this morning, and I just want you to be able just to, to take a first step this morning with God. If there are some things in your life this morning that, that are 
are driving shame in you. And I'm not asking you to tell me uh, the, the details, to tell me the story behind that, but, but there is a certain level of shame operating in your life this morning. I simply just want you just to put your hand up and I'm, I'm gonna pray for you this morning. And simply by, by just putting your hand up this morning, there's just, again, there's just an acknowledgement that says, God, I've, I've been affected by shame. It, it, it has, uh, driven my behaviors. It is driven my emotions. It, 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 it's attacking me personally. And, and what you're just saying to, to the Lord this morning, uh, you're just saying, Jesus, you know what that feels like. And Jesus, you brought that shame to nothing in your life. And, and Jesus, I'm asking you to bring that shame to nothing in my life this morning. I can't imagine anything more shameful than being crucified, being publicly naked. And yet Jesus was able to disregard that. And so what we're asking for this morning is, is God, would you just begin to give me the ability, would you begin to give me the process, the journey by which I can begin to disregard, that I can begin to bring the shame that I am feeling right now to nothing. And so, Father, I just ask, Lord, for every hand that is raised, that we thank you, God, that he who has begun a good work in here this morning in that area of shame, that you are committed to bringing that to full, complete healing, release, and victory this morning. Father God, I pray for those that are, that are willing, that are courageous this morning, that are simply just saying, there are areas of shame that are driving my decisions, my behaviors. There's shame that, that is, uh, that's condemning me as a person, that I'm not able to walk in the fullness of who I am as a new creation in Christ this morning, that God, I wanna be able again to begin to walk in freedom. And Father, I'm praying, Lord, that there would be a place, there would be people that, Lord, we could begin to find where we can share those stories, where we can share that, uh, that, those feelings of shame. And, and God, that we would find people who are able to hear and, and to empathize, Lord, to be able to pray and to help us to find the freedom that you so desperately want to bring to us this morning. Father, I pray for those who, whose hands are not raised, who are not walking in any level uh, or awareness of shame this morning. Father, thank you for them, Lord. They may be the answer to some of the people's prayers in here this morning, that God, there are people here that you want to link up with others this morning that God, they can, they can be that listening ear. They can be that open heart. They can be that, that, uh, that, um, that caring uh, individual. The Lord, when, when we do share, when we do begin to open up in God, that we'll experience healing. So God, I pray, Lord, that if there's people here this morning that you wanna use, that Father, again, we would make ourselves available that we would be able to come and again, just to be that ear, to be the hands, the voice of, of Christ to them. So Father, I just pray, Lord, that you'll use this congregation again to free us and to keep us free from the effects of shame this morning. And we thank you for Jesus Christ that through the work of the cross, he has released us from all the power of shame. 
We just thank you for that this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Again, it's you are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org.